So we saw the introduction to Ecclesiastes last week. And now we're going into the text. And verses 1 through 11 is the introduction of the entire book itself. And with this context in mind, the book of Ecclesiastes will flow. And the essence of this introduction is that there's nothing new under the sun. S- applies to people, applies to all creation. That there's nothing new in this world. It's because it's all bound up. And so in other words, because of this, it's all hevel, it's all vanity. And so to an unbeliever, once they die, it's the end. There's nothing left. What can man do in the face of death? No matter how much money they make, no matter what they learn, to the people of this world where death is the end, there's nothing, it's all vanity. And even excluding eternity, if we just compare the lifespan of a man to this world, it's very short. What can man accomplish in this short amount of time? And so the preacher in Ecclesiastes says it's al hevel. And I'll talk about what this word means. But it's as if it's all a vapor. It all fades away. That everything repeats in cycles. But the reason for this empty cyclical nature is because they do not submit to the will of God. And so in creation, there's nothing new under the sun. And that is the entire topic of Ecclesiastes in what we will see in this introduction. And we can divide uh, chapter 1 verse 1 to 11 into three sections. So first let's look at verses 1 through 2. Because I didn't preach yesterday, it feels like I'm doing it new today. I don't know what I did yesterday. It was really interesting. That even before I came to service, my prayer was very powerful. And I was thinking, wow, God is going to give us great things. But the moment I stepped on this altar, you know, as you get knocked out, blacked out after a lot of alcohol, that's what it felt like yesterday, today. And so I don't know what happened. I don't think it was simply just a spiritual attack. Because if it was a spiritual attack, I would have broken through it. But that's what all yesterday was. I have yet to receive the answer from God. But honestly, I don't need it right now. The important thing is that the women's sacrifice is going to give us a blessed time today for the brothers. Amen? And so let's move on. And why are we going into this book of Ecclesiastes? It's so that we can be separated from Babylon. Understanding that life in this world is so vain. Amen? 
So verses 1 through 2. And so it's saying that life is full of vanity. And this word, van, uh, the word Hevel is translated as vanity. But this isn't the complete uh, definition of the word Hevel. And so we want to examine what this word means. And so when we look at verse 1, it says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And last week we talked about there were three peoples being, uh, being uh, speaking in this book of Ecclesiastes. Now for the most part, it's going to be the preacher, the Kohelet's perspective. Right? The preacher. And then there is a narrator who, who uh, comments it in the third person. And then there's the author who wrote this book. And so in the conclusion, we'll talk about whether all three are one person or they're separate people. Now, of course, throughout the process, we'll get hints about what this is. And so in verse 1, we see the narrator introducing the Kohelet. And so when we'll see throughout Ecclesiastes the will of the Kohelet and the will of the narrator conflict, clashing. That regarding God, their, their values do not align. And so in this context, this book of Ecclesiastes can feel a bit complicated. And if you do not acknowledge these three different voices, it's hard to comprehend what the book is saying. But anyways, verse 1, the narrator is introducing the koelet, the preacher. And he introduces him as if he's introducing Solomon. But we spoke about this last week. This preacher is not Solomon. The author is not Solomon. If Solomon was the author, then this, the, the interpretation of this book would be completely different. Now, of course, throughout the times from Solomon until now, the oral tradition has been passing down. But it is not all aligned to what Solomon says. And so who is this Koelet? He was probably a rich man, a rich man in the contemporary times. Beginning from Nehemiah's, uh, uh, Nehemiah and then until the 3rd century BC. Before then, Israel was not divided into a hierarchical system. But in the beginning of the 3rd century, Ptolemy begins to reign over Israel. And through this society, now there's this stratification of society. Especially as they start to use commerce. And there becomes businessmen and become all of a sudden rich. And conversely, because of uh, back-breaking debt, they become slaves. Slaves. 
But either way, we see societies become stratified. And in this hierarchy, this Koalet is one of the is on the top. He's one of the richest men, and he is right standing before death. And what is his point? Is that this world is vain? And I said that we should not recognize this at the point of death, like the preacher, because then it's over. Just as it says in Ecclesiastes 12, that when should we recognize that it, this world is vain? When we are in our youth. Before we get to the point where there is nothing to live for, we should understand that this world is vain. But if a person does not meet with God, it is impossible for them to recognize this. Now, of course, they fall into despair. They fall into depression. And yet, it's impossible for them to recognize that this world is hevel. The same thing applies to you, right? Even though you know your cell phones is poison, you still drink that poison. Even though you know the world has no value, you still focus on the world. And so to men who have not met with God, it is impossible for them to recognize this truth. When will they recognize it? Right before they die. At that point, God will open their spirit. And they'll see heaven and hell. But at that point, it's too late. And so what is the gospel of this preacher? Is that as he's facing death, he sees this vanity. And God didn't take him right away, but God gave him some time. And as he sees that vanity, he feels the grace of God. But there are not that many people who will face this experience that the preacher has. If you want to see it this way, there's only one method. Uh, Jesus' death is my death and we must be born again. When we are born again and we see eternity, that's when we recognize that this world is vain. Really, 34 years ago, before I met with God, I was so immersed in this world. But I saw only a bit of glory through the head of a needle. Compared to what is shown now. And even with that little bit of glory that was revealed at that time, I let go of the entire world in a moment. And so we must quickly be born again and see the glory of God and recognize that this world is Hevel. Let's continue. And so the, uh, it's as if he is Solomon. He is re- reciting Solomon. But he is not Solomon. And the reason why he recites Solomon 
is because like Solomon, he was in the highest place, position of society. And yet he recognizes that this world is empty. And I'm sure that this preacher lived like a king. But no matter how rich you may be, no matter how much knowledge you may attain, or conversely, no matter how poor you may be, at the face of death, all man can say is that it's all vain, it's all hevel. That de- and before death, all men are the same. It's fair. And so if you look at Psalms, the author of the Psalms says that these wicked ones live as rich men. Their children prosper and succeed. And so he falls into despair. But in the middle of Psalms 14, he confesses. And yet I finally realize That before death, they will see that it was all in vain and that God is fair. And also, when we die, that's not the end. Actually, our lives begin at death. And all of these things that they possessed at the moment of death, it becomes their standard of judgment. And so when we look at eternity... It's not about what we possess. It's about how much we give out. We give up. How much we give out. This is a blessed life. This is the image of those who are separated from the world. We do not even have the desire to possess and to conquer. Whether he's poor or rich, it doesn't matter. That when you see the glorious kingdom, this is your lifestyle. And this is the secret to true freedom. So many people think that I'm not free because I have no money. No, it's what you possess is what is tying you down. Not just money. Whatever it may be, it is tying you down. You are losing your freedom. That if you are completely empty, you will be perfectly free. And these days I've been praying for 100% fullness of the Holy Spirit. And what are the evidences of that? That uh, the water gets rolled back or walk on water. And so Lord, help me to walk on water. What else? Is running faster than the chariot. Is going into the fire. Going into the fire and not facing any harm. As also being dismantlization to another place. And so this is the 100% evidence of fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this season is coming upon us. Is complete emptiness. Without leaving anything behind. Just emptying yourself. Because you are fully empty, you are fully filled with the Holy Spirit. Is this something only I home for? Aren't you yearning for it too? Yes, this is the image of the early church. Look at Deacon Philip, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He just gets instantly transported. 
Now, of course, I've experienced this once. But now this season is on a different dimension. And so the reason why he compares it to a king is because even as a king, at the end, it's all vain. And so in this season, it is truly tragic if you cannot recognize that this world is vain. And so when we look at it in order, we do not want to recognize this at the end of our lives. We want to receive confirmation of our salvation and see eternity. And immediately as we look at this world, ah, this world is nothing. As it says in Hebrews 11, that the moment God called Abraham, Abraham sees the glory of his homeland. And even though he was rich, he lived in a tent. Because in this vain world, there is nothing worth investing in. There's nothing worth root, being rooted down in. And so he lived as a sojourner. And so if we look at the spiritual mechanism behind sanctification, when we, look at the glo- when we are looking at the glory of the kingdom of heaven, The Holy Spirit moves in you in the direction of getting rid of all the flows of Babylon. This is the time to remove all that greed of Babylon from within you. And so if we connect this to today's Ecclesiastes, it, when it means to remove the greed of Babylon, It is to uh, take away the hevel that is inside of you. And so I'll explain why this is. And so if you do not take away these hevels, we cannot see the glory of God. Because the, the more you see that glory, the more the hevel is rolled back. And the more it's rolled back, the greater the glory. And so this should have been your life process as you've been living with me for these past 25 years. Now some of you have done so. Some of you have failed to do so. But whatever happened in the past, it doesn't matter anymore. Don't ask me about the past. Because now this season is regardless of what happened in your past, it's all time for it to be rolled back. And so what am I saying? Let's not think about the past. Whether you were doing it well or not, let's head forward into this new season. What's important is for us to have faith. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so this word hevel comes out in the Old Testament about 70 times. More than half of it is in Ecclesiastes. And so though the main topic of Ecclesiastes isn't hevel, and yet it is an important key word. And so without understanding this word, we cannot unravel the book of Ecclesiastes. 
ultimately this word hevel means that there is no reward. That even though you work hard, there is no gain. It means that it's empty and hard to believe. And so the NIV uh, translated as empty space. And so this word hevel, what it means in Hebrew is really important. And so first, it's like um, it's like uh, breath. And so it's not imaginary. It's something as you can see the breath, as you can see the mist of your breath. You can see it. A vapor. Water vapor. And so as water vapor is not imaginary, right, it just disappears from your, it is just imperceptible to your eyes. And that it is there and, and just disappears from your eyes. And so when we speak of this word havel, don't think of it as some concept or abstract idea. That if you are Im- immersed in the world, don't think that it's just a feeling or an emotion. That an actual influence is taking over your life. In other words, that let's say you lived your life for money, constantly chasing money. And because of that greed, you get you catch cancer. Now, of course, this isn't the reason for all cancer. I'm just giving an example. And so the source of that cancer was this actual influence of the world. And several years ago, there was this actual case that happened in the news. That this, uh, uh, this man who, was, who, who, auction, who bought a large building off the auction... Most people do not purchase these kinds of buildings through auction. Because when you buy it, you have to kick out all the people, all the tenants. And so unless you're crazy, you're not going to buy a building like that where you have to kick everyone out. It's the same thing. Churches don't buy buildings off of auction. Because when you buy it from auction, you have to chase out all the tenants. But anyways, this person bought it, bought a building, and used gangsters to send out all, chase out all hundred tenants. And when he finally chased out that last tenant, he got, uh, he got cancer and died. This actually was reported in the newspaper. And so as you live fully thinking that this world is everything, you end up, what? Hevel, empty. 
And so remember, Hevel is not some concept. It's not an idea. It's not just an emotion. There is an actual influence, a real influence. And so if you live with this Hevel, then constantly in your body, in your personality, this evil influence is coming over you. Why do you think there are so many crazy people out in the world these days? There are many reasons. But because these spirits that enjoy this Hevel, that continually absorb this Hevel are out there. Why do I tell you not to listen to K-pop? Because these beats and this music is all things that the devil loves. And so the more you listen to those things, the more the demons start to play games with your mind. They're dancing, they're, the way that they move. It's all the images that, of people in hell. And so we're not speaking of an emotion that has no real influence over you. This is Hevel. And so Hevel is a reality that you can see with your eyes. Amen? And so first of all, just get rid of the idea that it is an abstract concept. Now, of course, the definition of Hevel is connected to abstract ideas and concepts. But even that abstract part of that definition influences us. And so to man who is created by God, that when they live through God, they are fully healthy in mind and spirit, body and spirit. And so what we need to recognize is that when we are sick, whether in our physical body, in our mental health, that it's all because of this wicked influence of the Havel. And so, of course, we cannot explain all the provision of God one by one. But ultimately, when a man of God lives completely in God and not influenced by the Havel, they will be healthy. Not just their body, but their entire being. Amen. Look at Moses. Even at 120 years of age, his eyes is still clear. And look at Abraham or Daniel. That this is all happens when they live fully by God. Now, of course, maybe your physical body may get sick. But if you live with God... At the very least, your spirit will always be completely full. That your spirit cannot be held down. And so the elderly in our church, do not be deceived. That, that your spirit is dense because you have gained age? No. 
even the moment till you die, your spirit will be completely full. And so look at James or Jacob. How powerful was the spirit in him that though he could not see, that he knew how to lay hands on Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joseph said, no, Father, switch your hands. And he says, no, I know that he is going to be greater than his brother. That's how sharp he was spiritually. And so this is what we must be assured of. That a man of God, their spirit will not be confused. And so you see this in me. Even though I'm over 80, my spirit is still sharp. I need you. Amen. And so the first thing we need to recognize as we go through Hevel is that this Hevel is not an abstract idea. It is like a fog. It exists, but it's slow. it quickly disappears. And so though our life itself is short, and so in that shortness, of, in that brevity, we see this fog. What can we do? And so the life is empty. And so even more shorter than that is this world. And so the how vanity, vain is this world. And so this Hevel influences your entire being. And so let's look at a few definitions of this Hevel. First, Hevel is emptiness, futile, and, and, and false. And so these are all meaning definitions that come from the result of not living with God. For example, I thought people was everything, and so I was focused on people, on people, on people. And as time goes by, you realize this is emptiness, that this is vanity, that there is no reward. And I thought money was the best, and so I held on to money. And whether I earn lots of money or not, the time comes that you realize it was not worth it, that it's empty. God did not create man to be satisfied by these things. And so we look at in Psalms 117. Why is life so wretched? You remember I used this example before that there's a princess and in her closet there is more than uh, 5,000 dresses. How happy would she be? No, that's not the case. Just because that is not the reason for happiness. Why is life so wretched? As it says in Psalms 117. Because they go against the will of the one who is from the beginning. The Bible never says that we are wretched because we face away from money, from people, from things. No, rather, this is natural in life. A holy person will not, be bow- will not welcome the world. 
A holy person will not welcome money. Oh, welcome, welcome. They will not say that to these things. Holinesses reject those things. And so the, the only reason why our life is so wretched, the only reason why our life is surrounded in darkness, the only reason why we are bound to this world is because we go against the will of He who was from the beginning. And so if we turn it on its head, if we are in His will, then we will be happy. This is so simple, isn't it? What is the secret to happiness? Is to be obedient to the will of Him who is from the beginning. Living with God is not complicated. The reason why you feel it's so complicated is because you think that you can live with God and this world. And so it's empty, futile. And that's the end. You'll feel this at the end. And the second meaning is that it's non-existential. And so even though it exists, it's as if it doesn't exist because it's just a moment. Like a fog, the moment the sun rises, it's gone. And so this life is just a glimmer. How vain would it be? And so we'll look at it in Hebrews. As he speaks of Moses, the author of Hebrews says that he rejected the momentary pleasure of Egypt. So how does he describe becoming Pharaoh? A momentary pleasure. How scary is the Bible? That becoming king is just a simply a momentary pleasure. And yet, how many people murder people just to get to that position? And yet, the Bible says that it's just a sin of enjoying momentary pleasure. And so, look, there is no reason to be invested in this world, to live in this world. True happiness doesn't come from enjoying the pleasures of sin, but is following God. And so it's very short, as if it doesn't even exist. And the third thing is, is in, it's incomprehensible. And so look, the people of this world cannot define life. Especially if they are self-centered. They say that I lived hard. And yet, why am I so wretched? Even in the church, when you are not mature... Oh, I prayed. And yet, why is my child suffering so? And so, if, if they are immature or out in the world, they cannot explain life. It's heaven. And yet, why? 
is because they do not understand the order of life and faith. Love and faith. And so if we have the love of God and faith, then 99.9% of all life's problems are solved. And you realize why you are suffering, why you are happy, why your child ended up like this. All things are explained in the order of faith and the love of God. But if you live in this world, you cannot understand. It's incomprehensible to you. And so you... you Uh, you go crazy because of that. And then fourth, it is temporary. It's the opposite of eternity. Right? It's similar to not existing. And so it's this emptiness that you realize as you live in this physical time. Right? Because I lived 99 years. Oh, you felt that you lived a long life. But honestly, even even those 90 years is just a glimmer. It's just a glimmer in time. There's no one who after living 90 years will think that, oh, he has accomplished great things. Right? No matter what business they may possess, no matter how much they spent, no matter how much money they have made, they'll realize that their life is just a glimmer in time. This is something that they'll recognize right before death. And then also it's false, deceptive. These are words applying to idolatry. That they trusted in the world. They trusted in money. They trusted in people. But they will not repay your trust. We must trust God alone and only trust in God pays you reward. That when I trust in anything else, there is no reward. No matter how much you pray to an idol, will they answer you? It's false. It's deceptive. And so if you live trusting in anything else, you are living in deception. And so what does our Lord Jesus say? That God doesn't look for glory from man. That he loves man, not trust man. It's the same thing to me. I do not trust myself. Why would I trust you? Right? I love you. This is not wordplay. It's really important. Why do pastors get so hurt? Because after several years, they start to trust in their members. That is very dangerous. They, that's happening because they are not being, uh, having fellowship in the spirit. We must not trust in men. We must love men. We are a spiritual relationship. But as you continually trust men, you will realize that it's vain. This is really important. We are to love our brothers, not trust them. God does not want you to trust in them. Amen? 
sixth. It also has the meaning of foolishness and stupidity. And so as I always say that when you live by Babylon, what will characterize you is stupidity. If you live in the world, you will be foolish. There are many ways to explain this. But this is a really good way, is that to a day fly, no matter how much you explain the concept of tomorrow, he will never understand it. And so to a man who does not know eternity, he will always do foolish things. For example, all you have to do is go straight down this road. But if you go straight down this road, you're going to fall off a cliff. And so before they get to that cliff, they need to make a right turn. But if they do not see eternity, they cannot see this exit. And so what unbelief is, is in these 99% of 90 impossibilities, they always choose that 1% that leads to destruction. And so no matter what he does, no matter how much money he may make, no matter how smart he may be, if you live by Babylon, it is foolishness. That is Hevel. And so say to the person next to you, if you live by Babylon, you will become stupid. Amen. And so there are many definitions to this word hevel. And so we cannot just express it with just vanity. Now, of course, it does have this meaning of vanity. But Ecclesiastes doesn't only use this one facet of the definition. By every sentence, it may require different interpretation. And so what I'm saying is that not every single havel is going to be interpreted as vanity. Right? Sometimes we cannot understand life. It may seem vain. But the emphasis of Ecclesiastes is showing you the reason why what you live for when you roll back the havel. And so what we need to understand is that this book doesn't just end with Hevel. Because this Hevel is just the process of where God wants you to get to in life. In other words, it's the process that you go through before you get to faith and love. And without being born again, it's impossible. Only a spiritual man can go through this process or at the face of death. But then it's too late. And so the only ones who can remove that hevel are those who have eternal life. Only those who see the kingdom of heaven. 
And so it's the same principle as a day fly not knowing tomorrow. And so if we have these spiritual bindings, we cannot recognize the vanity of this world. And I can speak of this from many perspectives. Let's say that you have an issue with money. And if you do not recognize the vanity of that money, then you will bet your life on money. And in other words, spiritually means that all the influence of that hevel of the money binds me. And so money becomes your controller. That person has no authority over materials. It's the same thing that applies to all things. Your cell phone. If because you do not recognize the vanity of that cell phone, that you love it. That when you're... <laughs> 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 That when you don't have the cell phone, you're bored and you feel lonely and you feel isolated. It's because that cell phone has bound your character. Because you do not recognize the havel of that cell phone. And so when you hold on to anything in this world apart from God, that you realize, we need to recognize that that influences you in Hevel. It's the same thing with people. It's because you love God that you love your fellow brother and sister. But without that love, if you love that person next to you, that is immorality. Whether it's your wife or your children or your friends. It's all the same. The principle behind creation of man is that it's all bound to God. And so if we live outside of this order, it's all hevel. That is the scary thing. It's because you uh, go outside the order of God. And so if we continue... It also means absurdity, illogicalness. And so in chapter 3, or verse 3, we'll see this word toil. That it's this feeling you get that no matter how much you toil, you do not receive your just reward. And so we know about the, 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 the uh, parable of the vineyard, the Right, The person who comes at 9 in the morning, he also gets one denarian. The one who comes at 12, he also gets one denarian. 3, he gets one denarian. And 5 p.m., he also gets one denarian. And so to all, the owner gives them one denarian. And so the person who came at 9, he thinks that this is illogical. Because as men, when they live in self-centeredness, they've they are deceived into thinking that they need to receive their just reward. And so through this never-ending comparison and constantly seeing this greed, this strength grows stronger and stronger. It's because they do not know who is the master of this world. 
They do not recognize that this life is based on the principle of grace. And so they're constantly comparing. And constantly thinking that they need to receive their just reward. Right? Look at all these worker unions. They are the best representative of this. And so I'm so grateful to all of our church members. But I'm so grateful that we have no union members. Because people like that, they would put on this red headband and then they say, Pastor Kim, repent. Pastor Kim, repent. (laughs) I'm so grateful that there's no one like that here. Right? How scary would it be if they were to demonstrate to cut back the tithe? (laughs) I'm so grateful. This is this reward mentality of receiving what you deserve. And these are the people who cannot recognize the joy of being made an heir. And this is all religion, legalism. And so when they are deceived into thinking that it's illogical, they can't help but rebel against God. And so in other words, when we live by legalism, the other strength that motivates that is that you cannot, you do not think God is just. That if I've prayed this much, God, you should have at least rewarded me this much. That God, if I have offered this, you should have made me rich. This resistance, this rebellion to God continually grows and grows within you. And so the principle of God's grace, the principle of God's provision, His will, His plan. You cannot see these things. That you, if you live by legalism, you'll constantly resist God. And so the problem is, is that God is not going to give up his order in the face of this opposition. So look at chapter 3, verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And so what happens when they complain that they only received one denarian though they came earlier? Then did the master give them one more denarian? Say, okay, okay, okay. No, he said, I gave you what you deserved. God will not compromise with his order. And so if we do not recognize his lordship, then we can't help but rebel. Like that book written by Ganyu. Right, the book Rebel, written by the French philosopher. And so when people do not know the will of God, they constantly rebel. When they do not recognize the order of God, they can't help but continually rebel. But no matter how much you rebel, God will not change. 
For example, the order that if you sin, you will be judged. This can never be changed. And so when you look at Proverbs 10, 16, it says that the, the, uh, the toil, the labor of the righteous is eternal. But the labor of the, of the wicked is but a vapor. And so the emphasis is on whether you are righteous or not. It's not about how hard you worked. And that is the deception of man. That I lived hard. I worked hard. I met many pastors. Oh, I, I worked hard for this ministry. And I said, that's your problem. They don't understand what I'm trying to say. What do you mean? What do you mean you give your life for your pastoral ministry? Why do you bet your life on people? You should bet it on God. The, pro the problem is that they think that they could do it out of their effort. And as I always say, it's about your being. Who are you? This is the essence, not about how hard you worked. Because as we'll see. Because when God created man, this was never a problem. Oh, work hard. He did not create you to work. And so why do you keep trying to make a category for yourself that God never created for you? So all of a sudden you feel like your life is vain, right? Be careful, be careful. And so in chapter 7, verse 14... And so though the Ecclesiastes is not a high-level book, and yet there are very awesome phrases, quotations. 7.14. Uh, uh, 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? And chapter 1, verse 15 says something similar. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And so as I always say, that with the wicked nature of man that tries to change what God has set before time, you will receive your just reward. And so the question isn't about whether you can change God's will, but whether you will be obedient to God's will. Stop trying to change that scenario. Amen. And so that's why he chooses the path for us. And so it's not about making what I choose, but following the chosen path he has laid before us. And when you fail to recognize this, you will continually rebel. Amen? And so we're talking about absurdity, illogical. And so all the things of this world is absurd. It's illogical. And the reason is because man himself is absurd, is illogical. Man uh, 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 is a contradiction in himself. And so, of course, everything that this man has made is a contradiction. And so you should not find it strange that a thief steals, right? The problem is, is that you go to church and you steal. 
that you are a child and yet you're stealing and deceiving. But a thief stealing is so obvious. The world living that way is obvious. Because man himself is illogical. And so man on his own accord cannot um, escape this havel. That they may think that, oh, with ethics and with morals, I can live like a good man. But that's a deception. Man must be born again. They must die to their flesh. And as a new creation, only then can we escape this illogical system. Amen? And so the eighth thing is that this word Havel means that they are goalless, they are aimless. That uh, is similar to the word temporary. And so when they fail to recognize their toiling in vain, they see that it's illogical, it's absurd. But at the same time, what else this means is that this happens because they are making goals what should not be goals. Right? They ran after money, putting money as their goal. But when they, they rec- finally recognize at the point of death that, ah, it's not a goal. God created us to put Him alone as our goal. Everything else in this world is just a means to that goal. We should not feel despair or hevel by these means. Because money is simply a mean, we can have, we cannot have. It doesn't matter. We should not be tortured by these things. Because it's simply a means to an end. And then also it's, in, it's not even have a character. Can this water hurt me? No, it doesn't have a character. It has no personhood. It cannot do that. And so it's foolishness to be hurt by these things. And so don't make this the goal of your life. That God alone is the goal of my life. Everything else is simply a me- is mode of that transportation. And so we talk about authority lately. And what is authority? Authority, when you have one thing as your goal, then you have the freedom to cast away and take what is around you as a means. But when you make something outside of God your goal, then you lose the freedom to cast it away. Then you lose your authority. Money is nothing. You should be able to cast it off. But if it's your goal, you can't throw it away. And as it says in Matthew 6, 24, it becomes mammon in your life. He becomes a demon possessed inside of you. There's nothing outside of God that we cannot cast out. We must be able to cast everything away. Even my life. This is the image of those who have God as their purpose. 
And this is what happens to all people who have the same goal. And so all the influence of life, the, uh, all the uh, parts of this creation, is all Hevel. And so for most people, they will recognize this Hevel of the creation at the moment of death. And so do not be deceived. That if you do not see the glory of God, if you have not dealt with eternity, that, oh, this world is vain. No, that's impossible. It's just simply an emotion, a, a feeling taking over you. But when you see the hevel, you can lay it down. It's because you do not know the hevel that you hold on to it. And I told you, Mike, my testimony, 34 years ago when I saw that glory, I laid everything down. And for a year, the song that I continually sang is the, when the trumpet calls. That my only hope is to go to heaven. I want to hurry up and be martyred. And so that's why I proclaimed to the church that I'm not going to get married. The next day, Mrs. Cho came. And so when you see the glory of God, this is what will happen. And so what it says in verse 2 in Hebrew is Hevel of Hevel, says the preacher. Hevel of Hevel, all is Hevel. And so the Kohelet is declaring that outside of God, all things is Hevel. And so everything in this world is temporary, is meaningless, is empty, it is futile, it is contradiction. And so as you combine all of this, it is Hevel. And so the most important perspective to a spiritual man is to see that this world is Hevel. And so if you have the right relationship with God, when you see and recognize that this is Hevel, you will see that you have no obsession. Whether it's money or people, you will not be obsessed. This obsession is the mode of the devil to empower your flesh. And so to parents who fail to see the glory of God, they will be obsessed with their children. That it's all for you, that's what they will say. But that is their fleshly obsession. That apart from the plan of God for that child, what they need to do to appeal to Babylon. Study hard. And what is the characteristic of this parent? Let's say that this child got 99%. Then what will this parent say? That if you just did a little bit better, you would have gotten 100%. There are many of you like this here, right? This is obsession. That outside of God's will, instead of His purpose, 
Their standard of their desire is greater. And they say that it was because they loved their child. Right? My, my father was like this. That you ha- I had to be good at taekwondo. I had to be good at my studies. And so I worked really hard. And my friends... Is that, oh, I'm going to study one more time because I wasn't able to go to Seoul University. And so this is all, if I were to do the same, I would have been beaten. And so this is all obsession of the parents. And it's because the world doesn't recognize that it's hevel. And so they mistakenly believe that that they want their child to do well. And so that's love. But with this, they cannot leave an inheritance of faith. They cannot give the glory of God. Ask our six children. Have I ever once said, study hard? Not once. Have I ever said to you, be good, be excellent in this world? Not once. I said this. This is God's will for you. And so I gave them their names based on what God has shown me His purpose for their lives were. But never once have I put the standard of the world before them. Because I have seen the vanity of this world. Would it be my desire to give them, to make them invest in this vanity? No. And so if you fail to see that, Hevel, you will be obsessed. It's when you let go of this obsession that you can truly love in the love of God. And in other words, this obsession can make you become very, uh, become very Jezebel-like or become like a very uh, conqueror. And so what do you make your children become? They become rebellious against you, which means rebellious against God. And so this hevel means that they cannot get to the goal, the end goal. And so as I said earlier, they think that money is the goal and they realize when it's too late that it's not. Uh, so like the vapor in the air disappearing and so your life ends in the hevel and another thing that we need to be wary of is that if you keep receiving this hevel you may be deceived into thinking that this is um, uh, pessimism Right, where you are so judgmental. But that's not what it is. Uh, They're completely denying. And, and, and that's constantly uh, falsely humble. This pessimism is completely different from what Hevel means.
that when a fleshly person continually receives the influence of the Hevel, they will become a pessimist. But when a spiritual man sees the Hevel, he, can, he has the authority to take back that Hevel. And so where your maturity is, this is where it's important. And so amongst you, some of you as you're listening to this word, if you have yet to deal with eternity, if you fail to see God's glory, then as you listen to this sermon and you receive it, you may become pessimistic. Hevel is not just, just looking at the world in a negative light. That is not the purpose of this Hevel. Rather, Hevel is making you recognize that you do not need to be invested in the world. And so it's different from pessimism. And so everything is, applies in the same way. It, what's important is that we are full of the Holy Spirit. And by the maturity of our holiness, we will change our perspective of this world. And so, for example, let's use the example of our young adults. Why can they not be separated from their cell phones? It's because their level of maturity and holiness is not letting them. Like, let's say, for example, counterfeit. You do not recognize counterfeits by studying the characteristics of counterfeit. It's because you know the real mark that you can find counterfeit right away. It's the same thing with Hevel. Because you see who is true, God. Because you see the glory. And you have this relationship of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That it's so easy to let go of what is Hevel. And so you, oh, this is empty. It's nothing. There's no need to pour energy here. And as we've been talking about Joseph... We do not live by our strength. He lives in me. And so if I'm holding on to this Hevel, God cannot live in me. And what does it mean that God lives in me? That when I let go of this, as Paul said, right, he considers all things as refuse. That his, his knowledge, his position in society, all of it is, is refuse. And as Paul let go of it, saying it's Hevel, God uses those things in Paul. Though he cast it away, God uses it. I, Lord, I throw away my money. And God uses that money. That is what it means that for God living through you. So no matter what tool it may be, if you are living for yourself, it is all poison. It's toxic. That there is nothing outside of God that can give me gain. The money that I have outside of God, I 100% prophesy for you. That money will be poison to you. The people you meet outside of God, they will become poison to you. 
uh, any joy you may receive outside of God, it will be a poison. It will be, become your destruction. This is the principle of things. Because that's how God created man. And, but when we lay everything down, because God knows his plan that he has set before me, he uses anything at their necessary times. When we completely lay everything down, we are prepared for it to be used by God's glory. Because I lay down my obsession, God gives me his passion. Because I give up on people, God gives me authority over people. And so this is how important it is for a spiritual man to see the hevel. And so, can we move on? If, do not get lost in this hevel. You got to follow, okay? Amen. And so we must understand the principle that God has created us in. When we live by that order, we will be truly happy. When we live by that order, we will be glorified. If we keep trying to make a beneficial relationship with the world that Cain created, we will be bound to that world. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's move on to the second section from verses 3 to 8. It's talking about all the toil of life has no benefit. Right? It's extending Hevel. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The answer is that there is no benefit. Right, so under the sun, it's talking about this world. And he'll explain what, the reason for this. But when God created Adam, in the time that is under God's dominion, That God is leading Adam for the destination of his goal that he set before Adam. And we call God many names. But one of it is his names is Alpha and Omega. That he is the beginning and the end. And this is the image of man who lives in the Kairos time of God. That when God, man does not fall while they were in the Garden of Eden, they live in the Kairos time of God. And this, Kairo, this time, Kairos time, is not no time. Now, of course, it's not like the physical time where you can calculate 60 minutes in an hour. As, as it says in 2 Peter, that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And so it's not a time that could be calculated in the horror time of Babylon. And so for example, it's like this. I prayed one hour. 
But I enter into the presence of God's kairos. And so I prayed 10 hours. Uh, now conversely, it felt like I prayed 10 hours. But it's only been a minute. And so this is the difference between whether you are in God's dominion, uh, God's reign of time or not. And so before the fall of man, in the Garden of Eden, they lived in the Kairos time of God. And same thing in eternity. It's not without time. But we will live in a time that is according to the measure of God. But when man fell, they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And they entered into the horror time, the physical time of this world. But this horror time is not like the Kairos time where it's being led by God to a destination. It's, it, though it has continuity, it has perpetuity, and it feels repetitive. Right? This is what's important. This horror time. That is like a hamster running on its wheel. This is the method of, this is how people who live by the flesh live. And that's what today's text is saying. That man who is outside of God's time, they are constantly running in this wheel like a hamster. And Babylon is constantly stuck in this cycle. And so if the hamster recognized that this is all useless, he would leave the wheel. But he doesn't know. He fails to recognize. And so he continually runs on this wheel until he dies. This is the image of a man who lives in the flesh. And so people talk about progress, right? And we'll talk about this in today's text. We talk about something new. There is no such thing as progress to mankind. Progress is only given to men by God. New things can only be attested, ascribed to spiritual men. Look at history. It's constantly recycling, recycling. They recognized in the past that warfare is terrible then if they recognized that, it would be new and they would not commit war again. And yet look, there's war going on even right now. And when they recognize that money is nothing, then if they found something new, they would have let go of it. And yet they bet their lives for money. They're constantly living for the world. It's because they are running on this wheel like a hamster. Squirrel. Squirrel. I will use the word squirrel from now on. Amen. Let's continue. 
그래서 왜요? 우리가 인간은 이 인간은 모든 게 이거니까 뭐죠? And so because they're constantly running on this wheel, how vain is it? And so I'll talk about this a little bit more in depth later. And so this word under the sun, uh, toil under the sun is the word imar in Hebrew. And this word imar, when it's used as a noun, it means toil, work, labor. And yet it also has the meaning of the gain that you receive as the result of that work. And so when this word imar is used in the Bible, it's not a positive inflection, it is wickedness. It's talking about the labor, the hard toil that man has to go through. And that in itself is evil, it is uncomfortable. That in that action itself, wickedness is is in it. And so man is not created to toil to possess things. Isn't this scary to hear? Whatever the reason may be, if you are working to possess something, that is wickedness. And so even in chapter 1 verse 14, it says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and striving after wind. And so it's all this uh, toil that man is doing. And so they're saying that God has given a man to work hard. Is that a good meaning? No. No, because God, because man has fallen. And because man has fallen, they by the labor of their sweat. And so this is all the evidence of the fall of Adam. And so Cain, as the descendant of this fallen Adam, as he's made this system of labor, that in itself is wickedness. Listen carefully. I'm not saying whether you are to work or not. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm saying what is the source? What does this mean? Are you going to live in the spirit or in the flesh? And so no matter how practical the reason may be, no matter how righteous your motivation, let's say like for example, I'm working for God. But if you are living out of your own desire, then that is wickedness in itself. It's only when you are outside of that desire of Babylon, when you have been set free, can you be set free from the curse of the Imar. The moment you are saved, as it says in Ephesians 2.8, that though my feet are on this earth, that the Holy Spirit confesses that I am seated on the throne with Him. And so though you are on this earth, the moment you are born again, 
the source of your existence is in heaven. And so Romans 8.12, what does it say? That you are no longer indebted to the flesh. And so without this assurance as you live your life, then all of your work, all of your labor is sourced, is rooted in evil. And so as it says in verse 8, that where is man's value? That all of this work and labor in the flesh makes them become exhausted spiritually. And also when God created man, he gave them the authority of the word. But they lose that authority. They lose the authority to reign over the world. And so the issue is whether it's spirit or flesh. It's not about what you are doing. That whatever you do, if it's in the flesh, it is evil. If you are in the old self, it is evil. But even if you are doing something very insignificant, if you are in the spirit, it is all good. And then so he uses the word under the sun. And so so under the sun, this toil is all vain. It has no gain. And so we need to escape this system under the sun. Amen? And so the preacher, when he says under the sun, he means that there's something over the sun. Right? That is the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to live in the dominion of God's kingdom. And so as it says in Colossians 3, to set your eyes on what's above. To we live by what God gives us. I am not living out of the, what I have earned from my, from my labor. It's because of that labor that your life is so wretched. And even in that perspective, pastoral ministry is labor, right? Preaching is labor. As you know, the past 25 years, how much have I preached? If that was out of my labor, then I would not be standing here before you today, right? Right? But it's possible because I live from what I receive from above. And so if I, if I were to count all the people I've ministered to, uh, one sister went to heaven and said she saw my house. She said she saw my house in heaven. And she went in. And she said that all of my conferences were attached there, were, were hang up there. And so really, for 34 years, how many people have been ministered to me, have been ministered by me? Let's say that was out of my effort, my labor. Then I, there would not be a trace of me today. But it's the same thing applies. That living in the flesh is what makes your life wretched. The, the focus is not on what you are doing or what you are not doing. Our relationship is to what's above the sun. And so this is the main issue at hand. Let's continue. Verse 4. 
another award. A generation goes and a generation comes. It's talking about the flow of history of man. And so up to verse 7, he's going to continue comparing man to nature, natural things. And so generation going and coming is talking about the history of man, people dying and being born again. And that this is Yuanjo? Uh, it is all limited, right? And so compared, compared to the coming and going of man, it seems as if this world is eternal. Because the preacher has yet to see the eternal kingdom of heaven, he's comparing it to the world, to na- natural things. And so even if you compare just the generations, it cannot compare to the time of this earth. Right? These empires that you thought would last forever, they get wiped away like that. That if I had money, it felt like it would be eternal. But it's a moment. It's a moment. And so really, when I went to Greece, all that's left of that civilization is rocks. It's no fun. It's all vanity. And so even if you compare just to this temporary earth, it is still a moment, a glimmer. And so young adults, you really need to meet with God. If you get to my age, around 70, 80, you recognize that, wow, time flies. But if you recognize that at my age, that's going to be a problem. Before you recognize that there's nothing to live for. In your youth, meet with your maker. And recognize that this life is but a moment. Amen? And so even just comparing to the cycles of this natural world, life is a moment. But when you see eternity, truly, this moment is even a moment of a moment. And so that's why he says, Havel. And yet, why is there meaning in this moment? Because when we take back this Havel, we will see the true meaning of life. That when you take back that Havel, you will see the dignity of your life. And so he's speaking of the natural world. And we see that this world is constantly staying in place. That though man goes, lives for tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, it's today. That they can never escape today. Right? They keep running towards tomorrow. And though they get there, it's today. They cannot escape today. Can you not see this? Am I playing around with words? No, this is the image of people like a squirrel running in a circle. Do not put meaning to life in itself. 
Don't put meaning to this world. It's all hevel. But when this hevel is rolled back, that's where true glory is manifest. And so through Ecclesiastes, one thing we need to be wary of, as I said earlier, we need to be careful of pessimism. And also, do not let it become your philosophy. I am not speaking to you philosophy. I'm speaking to you reality. I'm speaking to you of this fog. Fog is reality. It's not imaginary. Simply just a glimmer. And so don't live for that glimmer. Everything is a glimmer. And so really, this glimmer, you will face deep despair. But when you meet with God, you will come to recognize all of this. And so, today's text. Verse 4, he speaks of the land. That uh, the earth remains forever. That uh, though uh, a generation goes and comes, it seems as if the land is forever. Right? Let's say if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, after we're all dead, this land will still be here. And so who would be here in a thousand years? Let's say Jonah's family multiplies here. Right? That's possible, yes? Yes? Who knows? Who knows? And so then the people here will be all be different. But this land will still be the same. Understand? And so does this mean that the preacher is speaking of this eternal land in a positive light? No. He's saying that even this land is hevel. Why? Because where, what is this land from? It's made of dust. And dust is the ultimate end of men. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. It says, all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. So because we have been made out of dust, we go back to the dust. And so when we are but dust, what can we do? And so though he says the earth remains forever, he's not speaking of the eternal nature of the earth, but he's saying that life is but dust, that we are just a handful of dust. And so even your body in itself has no meaning. You are just simply a handful of dust. How much is that worth? How much is a truck of dust worth? Let's say it's good dust, good sand. A thousand dollars? Wow, that's expensive. <laughs> right? If God was to make Deacon Choi, he would need at least a truck full of dust, yes? So let's say he's a thousand dollars then. Right? That's all it is, is a thousand dollars. then why invest so much in that body? 
Right? There's so many people who buy thousands and thousands of clothes and putting on jewels. Right? When you look at what uh, the, the, the daughter of the president of Korean Air was, what she was wearing, she was wearing thousands upon thousands of dollars. She is but dust, or you are but dust, and why are you eating such expensive foods all the time? Why are you eating such expensive foods? It's funny, right? He's eating such expensive foods. <laughs> that if you put meaning in your body, body itself is vanity. That there's nothing worth investing in in your body. True or not? It's because you do not see eternity, you do not live for eternity, that you invest so much into what is temporary. It's all going to end up as dust. Amen? It's all hevel. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. And so we got to speak about the cosmology of this time. Right? As the sun rises, it gives light to the earth and then it sets. Then the next day, he works hard to get back to rising. Right? And the new day begins. And so like, like the day, passing of the day, life of man is the same. There's no meaning. They can never escape today. There is no tomorrow. That no matter how hard I run, it's still today. It's still today. That's what the sun is, how he's describing the sun. It rises and it sets. It rises and it sets. It's empty. It's always in the same place. And so look at this carefully. This is the time frame of a man who lives in the Sarks. They always speak of new things. They always speak of progress. And yet, flesh outside of God's reign can never speak of newness or pro progress. That this is only in the reign of God, in the relationship with God, can you say you are moving forward. In other words, the ultimate destiny of someone outside of God is this cyclical nature. It just cycles and cycles and cycles. If you were to live in the Spirit, then every day would be different. That you would have this joy that God is renewing you. That my Spirit is being made new every day. Without this, you would feel that life is vain. This is evidence that you are not under God's dominion. This you need to confirm for yourself. Wow, today I'm different from yesterday. That if, that if I were to compare from last year, completely different. And so it's only those people who live under this dominion can they speak of the past, present, and future. And so I said last week in the introduction, what time am I living in? Am I in the past? Am I in the present? 
in the future. If you're in the flesh, you would not know. Only the spiritual man can speak of past, present, and future. And only in that can he choose the benefit and loss of where he chooses. And so, oh, in the past, I, because of this relationship, I suffered loss. But now I'm not going to have that kind of relationship. This is the newness, the being renewed. Only possible to a man who lives in the spirit. And so we'll see this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have a hurt or wound, he is constantly bound by the past. This person cannot live in the present. This person cannot live for tomorrow. He is always bound to the past. That's how scary these hurts are. And so we need to recognize what time we are in under the dominion of God. And so I say this all the time. That God, or man lives in this flow from the past to the future. They are flowing towards death. But to a spiritual man, that's not the case. They do not flow. That just as a living salmon will fly, will swim against the stream, that they can choose that God's time in their lives. That if my life is going to future, my spirit is seeing the future, then oh, I need to go here. Then your spirit goes to that place. This is. I'm not speaking of mysticism. If you are living in the God's dominion, this is what will happen. Let's say I'm filled with the joy of salvation. Then what does that mean? That means my spirit has gone to the cross in the past. And so we transcend the Hora time. This is the image of someone who lives in the Kairos time. If we live in the spirit, we'll recognize that this is not mysticism. And so if you cannot even determine the time that you are living in, this is a danger. We need to continually be loosened of our spiritual bindings. I say again. If you have hurts, you are bound to the past. And so to a man who lives by flesh, there is no such thing as progress. To a human living in the flesh, there is no such thing as new. We'll see this in chapter 9, verse uh, 10 and 11. Verse 6. What time is it? Amen. Because I didn't preach yesterday, so it's okay if it goes long today. Because the sisters have to listen to today's sermon. Verse 6. And speaking of wind, speaking of the wind, 
The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. And so we can speak of wind in many ways, or the wind can speak of many things. But today the preacher is speaking of two things. That first, we cannot, uh, uh, we cannot predict where the wind is going. And so man does not know where they are going. And so, uh, what year was it? That in 1993, uh, the uh, Sampung building fell down, broke, came down. And I remember hearing the testimonies of many people who survived that ordeal. There are some people who left that building a minute before it came crumbling down. Another person entered in a minute before it came down. And so in that moment, your life changes dramatically. That's how unpredictable life is. That when a rat recognizes that a boat is going into the typhoon, it leaves at dock. Yeah, rat, rat. I knew rat to you, sir. But man doesn't leave the boat. And so man cannot predict anything. And so in this uncertainty, when they come across danger, man feels this havel. But we should recognize this havel before that situation. Because at any time outside of God, man can meet this uncertainty. Right? Look at Hawaii. There's chaos right now. Many people died that in, over there. Right? How can so many people die so quickly because of fire? And this is the, resu- this is the fate of all people outside of God. And so look, I dreamed of going to Hawaii. But because I'm spiritual, I did not go. It's the same thing with Jeju Island. Okay, my son was planning to go to Jeju Island for vacation. And at that time, the typhoon was heading towards Japan. And I said to him, he, he told me he's going to Jeju. I said, hey, typhoon's coming to Korea, so don't go. And so the next day, uh, that, that typhoon changed its direction towards Korea. And so what's important is to live in the spirit. And so through this uncertainty, people meet with this hevel. And another thing when he talks about wind is the repetitive nature of the wind. That it blows in its circuit. We, we talked about this already. Right? Man is constantly circulating in the same time. And so this is all vanity. That they are constantly ro- ro- um, running around the 400 meter circuit. Yeah, 
Now, if it was God's will for you to live as if a squirrel running in circles, then you would feel happiness there. A squirrel as he runs in circles probably is happy. Because that is his goal as man put him there. But God did not create you for this purpose. Because you are not in God's will, you feel that emptiness. Man must experience newness. And if you have a right relationship with God, you will be renewed. And you need to continually progress towards God's goal. That is God's will that the Bible test speaks of. It's, that's when man finds happiness. That's why Paul says that we are a new creation. But men in the flesh cannot obey God's will. Only the new creation can restore that plan. Only they can progress to newness. This was God's original plan for man. To continually be renewed. To continually to progress towards the pinnacle that God has set for you. But if we live in the flesh, we're constantly ro- running in circles. Constantly running in circles. Verse 7. Now he speaks of streams and rivers. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. And so this comparison to the river is because all rivers flow to the sea. And yet, no matter how much water flows into the sea, it never is full. And so, living in the flesh, you can never be satisfied. There is no satisfaction. There is no completion. You can never fill the measure of God. And so that's why when you come to the end of your life, you are filled with fear and terror of what you will see. No matter how much you toil, no matter how much you work, you will never be satisfied. You will always end up in the same place you started. Same thing with dust. You return to the dust. And same thing with wind. It goes in its circuits. You're always in the same place. And look at history. History is always repeating itself. Look at even your trends that you love. Right? The trends of the 70s are coming back. The trends of the 80s are coming back. Right? Uh, After CDs, uh, everyone thought that music would go on. Now it's going back to LPs. To vinyls, right? And so look, this world, man can never make anything new. It's all only in the relationship with God. So when we live with God, we have expectation, we have joy. And we have joy. And so as I always say, no matter how much you may like, and let's say that you lived a thousand years. Uh, Uh, Okay, would you not get tired? If you bored if you live 10,000 years with that some person who no matter how much you like them? Let's say that you were to live a thousand years with your wife. Now 10,000 years. (laughs) 
It's not possible. Not possible on our own. If you live in the flesh, it's impossible. Same thing to God. And yet, why can we live with God forever? Because we are meeting with God in a new way forever. It's the same thing with people. Let's say I lived for more than 30 years. And I'm seeing new things in my wife every day. I'm not saying this because she's not here. Oh, wait, should I be saying bad things since she's not here? No, no, it's not because she's here that I'm saying these good things. But really, I'm constantly discovering new beauties in her all the time. And so, of course, God gave me my six children. But one of the purposes of that is that each child that gets born, my wife gets more beautiful. And so really, I was amazed. And why is this? It's because we are constantly maintaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are in the relationship with God. And so God is constantly renewing us. And so if you want to be a happy married couple, both needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit, constantly growing. And so as you live with your spouse for a long time, they start to become friends. That is not normal. You need to love. You need to see beauty that you did not recognize from before. You need to find new emotion. And especially women will find happiness in this. And so it's because we are brothers that I'm explaining this to you. The sisters of our church are not going to suffer because you do not give them diamonds or, or nice necklaces. I mean, none of you can afford that, right? And so you all got married well. <laughs> the sisters of our church find satisfaction when you fulfill their spiritual needs. Amen? And so when your relationship is filled with the Holy Spirit, that's where you will find true beauty. That's where your wives will find happiness. son? Okay. And so uh, the Korean word for wife is ane. And, and in that word, the word is the Korean word for son. And so when your wife is happy, that means that sunlight fills your home. That's why your family is happy. Because the mother is happy, the children eat well. If the mother is sad, when the, chi when the child asks for food, she'll say, shut up, go out. <laughs> and then if you say, wife, wife, give me some food, she'll say, just get instant noodles. <laughs> So your wife must be happy. And so it all needs to be spiritual. It's impossible in a fleshly relationship. So listen carefully. Listen carefully. You need to repent deeply. 
So we're finished with the streams. Now verse 8. So in verse 8, it says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. And so when you look at this word, all things in Hebrew, and so it uses the definite article, ha, And so this things is the uh, Hebrew word kol. And so the Korean word using here is, is hitte baram. Uh, uh, it's the Hebrew, hitte. And so it's based off of the word dabar. Right? So word, dabar. And so instead of saying all things, it should say all language or all speech. But I, it's, I'm not saying that this translation is incorrect. But, but it's a little off the mark regarding the Hebrew. And so all speech is weary. So what does it mean that our speech is full of weariness? From, the, from above... that people are weary of all their toils and all their work. And so they lose the power, the authority of their speech. God did not create man to work. The essence of what God created Adam to be was a priestly king. And the most important authority of a king is the authority of his speech. But as he lives in the flesh, as he toils, and as he, toils uh, he cannot help but grow weary. And this is the reason why the brothers, you cannot pray. Though you are not indebted to the flesh, you constantly live out of that debt. And so you grow weary. You grow exhausted. And so when you are exhausted, the most wicked curse that comes upon you is you lose the power of speech. You lose the authority of prayer. You are uh, missing the mark of God's purpose for His creating you. Above all else, brothers, you must not burden yourself of the flesh don't live this repetitive weary cycle of life every day we need to progress to the newness that God has set before us and then your kingly speech will come alive And so because our speech is full of weariness, man cannot utter it. We can no longer reign over the world. Our speech allows us to have fellowship with all creation. And yet, we have become so weary that we lose that. This is the result of living in the flesh. What else does it say? The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And so when you lose the power of speech, 
as it says in James 3 2 that the one who is perfect in speech is fully perfect in his body right this is really uh, important discovery Because all the nerves in man is, is all, uh, the, the most advanced is the one for speech. And so if we are weary of speech, that means that we, our senses to speech is gone. And so it puts a lot of influence on every other aspect of our lives. It gives influence to what we see, what we hear. In other words, that means your mentality has been ruined. And your, your mind is part of your spirit, and because it's broken, you lose the power of words. In other words, it is your noose being corrupted. And so you're unable to see what God wants to show you. And you're unable to be satisfied by what you see. And you, are, you have a problem with your hearing. And so whatever you see, whatever you hear, it's all deception. And so when you have a problem with your speech, it doesn't just end there. It influences your entire being. And so look at the tragedy, the danger that results from living and this deadness to the flesh. And so the uh, essential image of man that God has created is to walk with God. And whenever needed, to ask God. And proclaim the promise of God. This is the essential, normal, natural way to live with God. So for example, it's like this. As you walk with God, he says, Adam, what do you want to eat today? Oh, I want a peach. Then, I, then he allows me to labor to reach for that peach. So God, uh, we can make the work that God wants us to do. He gives us the effort to, uh, to labor for what he wants us to have. As it says in 1 Peter 4. That whoever speaks, speaks as if God is speaking. That whoever works, work in the power that God gives them. And so I'm not denying work in itself. But we, a work that is done in the strength of God. This is the image of a spiritual man. And so when we fail to do so, that's when we are exhausted. Because we lose the essential image that God created us in. And so what is that? It's to walk with God. It's to ask God. It's to rely on God. It's to go in His direction. Then we work. Then we work in the strength that He provides. But we think that work is first. This is legalism. That labor in itself is sin. It is given to fallen Adam. Amen? So let's continue. So we're almost finished. So now the third section, verses 9 to 11. That there's nothing new in this world. 
And there's nothing new made, and yet this world claims that everything is new. And that's why they get so weary, because they celebrate that something new has happened. Right? New microchips. Oh, the mo- newest of all kinds of technology. New cell phone. New clothes. Or like the wife, the, uh, the wife of the president of the Philippines, Imalda. Right? She has 5,000 dresses, like thousands upon thousands of shoes. That even if she were to wear a new piece of clothing every day, she would not wear it all before she dies. And so though man demands new things, there's no newness in this world. Why? Let's see. And as I said earlier, when man lives outside of the time of God, they can never face something new. So like a squirrel, they're constantly running in circles. Only in Kairos' time of God is new things possible. In, in physical time, there is nothing new. It's just rep- repetition, repetition, repetition. And so this time that exists in this three-dimensional world, it, it's, we say that time flows, but it's actually not flowing. It's cycles. It's cyclical. And so even when we look at time, there is nothing new. Only in the Kairos time of God can we say there is something new. A day fly can never know what tomorrow means. And so you need to believe this, receive this spiritually. And so what's evidence that there's new time upon you? That you are becoming renewed. What does it mean that you are renewed? It's not what you recognize to, to know. No, what's hidden inside of you is revealed. What was not there before is there now. And so this must be fruit that is born in your life. Because God's dominion isn't cold water becoming made hot. No, it's water turning to wine. Your entire being is transformed. You are being revolutionized. This is what it means to be new. Water being water is not new. Water turning into wine is new. And so this is only possible in the time of God. And so even speaking in time, man cannot go into something new. And so second reason why. We didn't look at verse 9 yet, right? What has been is what will be. Right? They say that they're making something new, but it's just returning. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. And so they say that it's finished, but it reappears. They say it was not there, but it reappears. Under the sun, there's nothing new. Understand? Uh, uh, uh. 
And so man hasn't, doesn't have the ability to create. Look at verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. And so everything that man says is new is not a new creation. It's just a discovery of what God has created. But because man does not recognize this, they dare to say that they are creating things. They think that they can create life. Through separation and combination, maybe they can make things, but they cannot create life. That in this order of things, man cannot create life out of the, on their own. If man could create things, then we would not call God the creator. But we are created in the image of God. And so when we rely on God and live in God, then we also have the ability to create. We can create it from what was not there, and we can make all kinds of miracles happen. Though man himself is not a creator, but in relationship with him, we also have the ability to create. This is evidence that you are in his image. And so this newness happens when you are in God. Only when you are in God is new things made every day. Man can discover, but they cannot create. And so regarding this, we must be humble. And when man does not recognize this, that's when they become arrogant. But either way, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that we can call is, as new. And so why is the preacher emphasizing new things so much? We talked about this earlier. That when God created man, man's purpose is to continually go towards the new things. God created Adam out of the dust. He blew the breath of life. And he could have just said, now live your life. No, but he walks with Adam. And because his expectation is that as Adam walks with God every day, he's being renewed to be more and more like God every day. And so to man who lives in the flesh, they cannot live in this dominion. They cannot live in this reign. But a spiritual man who walks with God, they taste this newness that God gives every day. And so the preacher is emphasizing newness because this is so important in God's creation of you. And so this must also align to your faith life. That in Yorban Church, every day you must be renewed in God. It's not my will or my personal philosophy. This is God's purpose for you when He created you. That you will be like me. And so because He has this expectation of you becoming like Him, that He gives you this newness every day. 
If not, there's no reason for him to walk with you. So why does he emphasize newness? Because this is God's purpose of his creation. And so this is the reason why we must be renewed every day. It's not my personal vision. And so 10, 20 years you've been at this church and yet you're still not transformed. Yet you're still not growing in holiness. And yet you're still bound spiritually. Even now you're still constantly lost in your ways. What have you been doing all this time? This is despair, isn't it? And yet, gratefully, God has given us this new season. This is our last chance. Let's move on. And so why, cannot, why can men never create anything new? Because man's desire cannot receive new things. And so even if God gives them new things, their greed will not receive it. Oh, I bought new clothes. And so if you have that, that joy should last you last. But the greed of man will only enjoy the new clothes for a day, two days, three days. Oh, what is she wearing? Wow, it's pretty. Then now she has to buy another clothes. So the greed of man cannot receive new things. If you buy a cell phone, it should last you 10, 20 years. Oh, a new cell phone is amazing. And so you throw away and buy a new one. The greed of man cannot acknowledge new things. And so man cannot create new things. It's the same thing with people. Okay, a spiritual man will find new things in the person. But the greed of man will never acknowledge the new things. And so we need to constantly find the new self. Uh, this, this is a fable in Korea where it's something, uh, China, sorry, China, as if that's so different. <laughs> yeah, but this fable, uh, this, this man always kills the wife every night. I don't know, something, something. Some, some old fairy tale. And so even a man does not recognize newness. And so if your spirituality goes deeper then you will find new things in the person next to you every day. Oh, wow, he has this. Wow, he has that. And so even in your relationship with your wife, if you live in the Spirit, you'll find new things. So think about it. For 25 years, I've been pastoring here. If I was not able to find new things in you, for 25 years, oh, he's still the same. Oh, he's not transforming. Oh, he's still the same. Then would I be here or not? No, I would not. I'm seeing something new. Whether he transforms or not, like, I see something new. Oh, his stomach went in a little bit. 
And so, man's greed cannot recognize newness. Verse 11, lastly. There is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who will come after. And so, when man dies, it's all vain. There is no remembrance after death. What's evidence of that? That no matter how much they record history... The lessons of history never renews mankind. As I said earlier, war is tragic. And if we knew, then we would not commit war again. But because we are vain after death, and and death ends everything, we cannot remember and be renewed. But honestly, that's not the case. We, we are not ending at death. Fleshly man, when they die, they will live with that pain for eternity. But a spiritual man will rem- have all those good memories and live forever in praise and excellence. But really, if you live in the flesh, death is the end. And so because you are ignoring everything, you cannot be renewed. You end in vanity. This is the end of today's message. And so here's the conclusion. That everything outside of God is Hevel. And there's many meanings, definitions to this Hevel. And so as we see eternity... And we need to see all the aspects of this creation being Havel. And when you re- roll it back, you will see God's glory. And that you will find true meaning of life. And you will find the value of your existence. Amen. These, through these things, we will be renewed. That man on his own cannot be renewed. Man in the flesh cannot see new things. It's when we live in the spirit that we see new things every day. And so throughout the remainder of your life, you will see new things every day. And Lord, today as we pray, all, let it be a time of all the heavens that I've chosen in my life to be rolled back. And Lord, may we see your glory. And grant us amazing grace that we can see new things every day. Let us pray. Lord, anoint us. And may all the heavens that were in us unconsciously, subconsciously be rolled back. And through Ecclesiastes, may Babylon be completely taken away from this community. That everyone here would let go of everything outside of God. That as the Ecclesiastes concludes, that there will come a time where everything will be worthless. And Lord, help us to know that it is too late to see the hevel of everything at that time. But in your glory, 
that all things are Hevel. That we would be able to make this true confession. And all of these Hevels that are like fogs over our lives, when they are rolled back, may we see true new things begin. Oh Lord, we thank you. Let us be renewed. That when we see how glorious it is when all this Babylon is taken away. That we'll be completely separated from the vain pleasures, the vain joys, the vain successes of the world of Babylon. That the only way is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this new season, pour out a new anointing. Lord, all of this heaven that Babylon has cast over us be completely rolled away. Let us pray all together in spirit. Be present in this place. Pour out your anointing. By the power of your blood, may all the heaven be rolled back. Blood of Jesus. May our eyes be opened. That we would not hold on to this world that is just a glimmer. That as we hear these words of Ecclesiastes, that we would not receive it as philosophy. That we would not be bound and into this pessimism. But that we would see that this heaven is true, is real, is like a fog. That it is a glimmer. May we see the physical reality of all of this. That all the evil influences of this heaven would be rolled out of our lives. That all of these influences would be taken away. Living God, speak to us. May we be completely free from the evil influences of the heaven. All the unbelief be rolled away. All the worldliness be rolled away. All the immorality be rolled away. May all of this loss of, of material authority be restored. May all the immorality be completely erased. Oh Lord, be present in this place. Pour out powerful presence. That Lord, as your servant lays his hands, may it be imparted powerfully upon them. May a new anointing fill them up more. Be drunk on new wine. Be drunk on new wine more powerfully. Lord, we thank you. Your church is entering into the new season. That all the empty, vain havels would be completely removed. And may the entire community enter into new glory and experience true freedom. 
for the past 2,000 years as this glory has been waiting. Now is the time for that glorious church to be revealed. May your holiness manifest. May the world see what happens when your church is unified to your holiness. Yes, Lord, thank you, thank you. May not a single soul be lost, but everyone enter into your glory. In this new season, bless Israel. Bless that all these 400 people coming from Zoe ministry all over the world, may they be protected. And may it be a conference that exceeds all other conferences before. Bless today's offering in this time where everything is being sucked dry. Through us, you are preparing the seven years of famine. And may we provide for all the Zoe Ministry Network churches all over the world that we would serve them. And bless Yerban Church who has offered this for this work. And may all the businesses of this church go into a new scale. Their children and upon their workplaces, upon their family. May the riches of the kingdom of heaven bless them and grace them. And Lord, especially this offering for Israel, may it please you. And bless the firstborn. And now by the grace of God, or Jesus Christ who is the head of the church and through the holy love of the Father and the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit. To those who remove the Hevel. And hope and desire to live in the Kairos time of God upon their family, their businesses. May this blessing rest now also upon the church, Zoe ministry and the mission fields all over the world. May this blessing rest now and forevermore.